It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. And today Rick is continuing in the book of Mark in his series called Experiencing Jesus. This is part four in a sermon he's entitled, Prepare to Scratch Your Head. Turn to Mark chapter 1. Today Rick is looking at verses 21 to 39. Here's Rick. Do you remember a few weeks ago when I had mentioned that there had been a survey taken of about a thousand stay-at-home moms asking how many questions a day do you field from your young kids? And they started at about the age of three and, and went on up. And if you remember what we I had mentioned to you that day is that they found that the most inquisitive children are those between the ages of four and six that ask their parents a question, and that's from breakfast until just before dinner, before dad gets home, um, about a, a question every two minutes and 36 seconds. And I also mentioned to you that the most inquisitive of all are four-year-old girls who ask an amazing 390 questions per day of their mother. What I didn't mention to you that Sunday, because it wasn't pertinent to where the sermon was going, is that that survey also recognized that the older a child gets, the less questions they ask. So that by the time they enter middle school, they have almost stopped asking questions of mom and dad. Richard Werman Um, the original creator of the TEDS conference, who is a man obsessed with asking good questions, um, made this point. He said, kids who start off asking endless why and what-if types of questions gradually ask fewer and fewer of them as they grow older, why? Could it be in school or the home we're rewarded for having the answer, not for asking a good question? And sadly, how often has that described most churches? That we tend to reward those that can give us the right answer instead of applauding those that can ask inquisitive and penetrating questions. The fact is, many churches many churches have a, a fairly ugly history of shaming and silencing the inquisitive And by the way, if you're here this morning and you carry the scars of having been treated like that in your past, can I just say, please forgive us. Forgive those of us who were threatened by your questions or embarrassed that we did not know the answer. And so instead of drawing you out, we shut you down. Please forgive us. My brothers and sisters, I've got great news this morning. And the great news is Jesus has never been afraid of hard questions, ever. He loves to interact with sincere seekers who are inquisitive, and his words and his actions can stand up to close scrutiny. In fact, he invites it. As we get further and further into Mark's account of the life of Christ, we are going to see that he never shamed and he never silenced those who approached him with their questions. So this morning we're going to talk about that. 
the importance, in fact, of one question when it comes to looking at Jesus Christ. And before we do, let's pray, though, together, please. Father, thank you that your heart is never to shame or silence us when we can't quite figure it out. When we've got questions and we don't know where to bring them and we bring them to you, thank you that your heart is to receive us when we're puzzled, when we can't quite put it together, when we want to know more, when we honestly don't know enough to know what to believe, don't even know maybe what the truth is. Father, thank you that you still warmly invite us to come to you. And so, Father, I pray that that's what would happen this morning as we jump back in here to what Mark is showing us about your son, Jesus. That we'd be captivated by his story like that original audiences were. And that it might cause something to bubble up with inside of us, the natural questions that ought to arise. So, Father, come speak to us this morning. Use your word to penetrate deeply into our hearts. Awaken those things that have long maybe gone to sleep. Stir our minds, stir our spirits to respond to you, I pray this morning in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. So open up your Bibles, if you would. We're going to jump back into Mark chapter 1, where we've taken a break for a week. And as we jump back into our study through Mark's life and times of Jesus the Messiah... I want you to listen to Brandon Sanderson's important observation. He made this observation. He said, the purpose of a storyteller is not to tell you how to think, rather to give you questions to think upon. If that's true, then Mark is a master storyteller. Because he doesn't make a whole lot of declarative statements about Jesus. Instead, he writes to give us an opportunity to have a vivid experience with Jesus and then make up our own minds about what we're encountering. See, Mark wants us to engage with what we hear Jesus say. He wants us to see what he does in order that powerful questions might kind of percolate to the top out of our lives. So but before we start in looking at verse 21 down to verse oh, 39... We need to have a little bit of a review to kind of catch up to speed with where we've been so far. Mark, in these opening 20 verses of chapter 1, has been trying to get us ready to experience Jesus. Because a person doesn't automatically experience him well and engage with him well. So what has Mark done for us so far? Well, if you remember, he wants us to know that the coming of Jesus was not some random historical event, but rather it was planned by God from ages past. It was purposeful. Mark also wants us to know, though, that it's going to take a repentant heart if we're going to get Jesus. And another thing that Mark wants us to understand is that Jesus invites us to carefully listen to his words and to closely watch his life. Come do it, just like the original audience did. So when we come to verse 21, Mark has brought us to the very edge, and it's almost time to jump into the deep end. And that's what will happen in two weeks. Because starting in two weeks, we are going to be given a front row seat 
to watch and listen to the intimate experiences that people had with Jesus. But there is one last important element of preparation we need before we take that jump. And it starts in chapter 1, starting at verse 21, where Mark gives us three scenes where Jesus begins his public ministry. And at first glance, these three scenes seem random. They don't seem to be related to each other, but they really are. Mark is very intentional about weaving together these three events that happened over just a simple 24-hour period. So let's look at the passage. And remember that when we were with Jesus last, he was walking along the beach of the Sea of Galilee, and he had two sets of brothers in tow. And the beach led them along the north side of the Sea of Galilee to the little town called Capernaum, which tends to end up being Jesus' home base during most of his life and ministry. So with his posse, the first scene describes what happened on the Sabbath when Jesus entered into a synagogue, starting at verse 21. Now, a synagogue, what's that? Well, a synagogue then is very much like what a church building is now. It is a place where the faithful gather each week in order to be able to hear uh, God's word taught and to be able to worship him and to be able to remember God's powerful acts in history. So starting at verse 21 and into verse 22, you notice that Jesus was invited by the synagogue ruler to teach. That was typical of that day. And look at what the text tells us. On the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, verse 22, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Notice carefully, Mark does not tell us what Jesus taught. He tells us how Jesus taught. He taught with authority. In other words, that word authority means that there was power to it. There was a challenge to the listeners to have to respond to the message. And Mark puts in a very interesting comment here. He says, not as the scribes. What does that mean? Well, the scribes, they were considered to be the scholastic authorities of their day on the Old Testament. But their teaching was boring. It was dull because they simply quoted what other scribes had said before them in Israel's history. And in contrast, though, Jesus proclaimed a message that was received directly from God rather than just simply talking about the opinions of other people. Now, again, did you notice the reaction? The reaction of people in the synagogue on that day, verse 22, they were astonished. That word literally means they were astounded or they were shocked or they were um, numbfounded by what they were hearing coming out of Jesus and the way it was coming out of his mouth. And then Mark goes right on. He doesn't stop. Because right in the middle of Jesus' teaching, verse 24, there's an interruption. Notice a man with a demon lets out a shriek and challenges Jesus. Look at verse 24. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and sang, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. 
Notice that in response to this dis- disturbance, Jesus has the authority. And by the way, that word authority keeps popping up here. It keeps re- being repeated. He's got the authority to command two things. First, to the, to the demon, be silent. Second, come out of him. And convulsing and screaming, the demon leaves. Folks, that was a worship service no one was soon to forget. <laughs> and again, what's, what does Mark do now? Verse 27, he talks about the reaction, the response of the audience there. What's the word he uses? Amazement. Which, by the way, is kind of a synonym for verse 22 and being astonished. Only this word literally means to be in awe, to literally be blown away. We would have been too. And then look at the very next statement there in verse 27. They questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits And they obey him. Folks, there is the key to the whole passage. It's the question. Underline it if you've got your Bibles. What is this? See, these people have experienced the authority of Jesus' teaching and the authority of his actions over the demonic simply by words. And it was an emotional, life-changing event for everybody that was in that room. And what bubbled up was the penetrating question that we're going to keep coming back to over and over again this morning. What is this? Now notice something else. Did you notice that Mark doesn't answer that question? He doesn't explain anything. He leaves us hanging. Instead, he just moves right on to the second scenario where we find Jesus in a home. But he's doing something very purposeful here, so hang in there with me. Starting at verse 29, we've come to the home of Simon and Andrew. Remember, that's one set of brothers that are are in tow with Jesus at this point. And in the home is Simon's mother-in-law, and she's in bed with a fever. And typical of someone who has got a serious fever, she is so weak, she can't get up to greet or serve her guests, and that is a major embarrassment. That tells you how sick she is that she can't even get up. Now, remember what just happened. Again, Mark talks about they were in the synagogue, and now immediately, verse 29, they left the synagogue and came into the home. So we just saw with this demon an awesome, challenging display of authority, authority of teaching and authority of confrontation um, over this demon. And now what does Mark describe to us? Well, look at verse 30 and verse 31. Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Ooh. Here now, out of Jesus, is the quiet, caring power of someone with authority. See, what Jesus did with that... What Simon's mother-in-law is not sensational as it was a moment ago. It is incredibly sensitive. It's not loudly confrontational. It's just quietly caring. See, Jesus' authority has got this warm tenderness to it there in verse 31. He took her by the hand. 
And don't miss that the miracle is not just that the fever is gone, but that instantly so is her weakness. She immediately stands up. She immediately begins to serve the guests that are now in her home. And so what's the haunting question that spills over from the first scene now into the second scene in this home? What is this? It's going to keep popping up. And then, like in the synagogue where a second thing happens, look at the second event that happens here in the home starting at verse 32. Once sundown comes and the Sabbath is over, and I think you all know that for the Jews, uh, the practicing Jews of that day, Sabbath began Friday night sunset and lasted until Saturday night sunset. So during that time, you weren't supposed to work. You weren't supposed to walk around. You're supposed to just rest. So once sunset comes, what happens? It looks like the whole city has come out because word of what happened in the synagogue has spread so the sick and the spiritually oppressed show up. And how does Mark describe what we see in Jesus Verse 34, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So here we have him moving from the mother-in-law with a quiet, caring power of his authority to now a patient, compassionate power of his authority as he deals with this crowd of desperate people. Notice, they don't care who Jesus is or what he's trying to teach in the synagogue. They're here because they need healing. They need to be released. And notice that Jesus does not demand faith. Jesus does not demand that they repent. He is just simply willing to start right where they are and deal with their desperate condition. So one after another, and we don't know how many there were, but one after another, he patiently and compassionately deals with each person and by his authority brings them relief. So as daylight is replaced by candlelight, there's a question hanging in the air. What is this? And again, Mark doesn't tell us how late into the night they go. He simply slides into the third scene, where starting in verse 35, Jesus is out in the country. So the two sets of brothers wake up the next morning and Jesus is gone. People are knocking at the front door wanting to know where he is. Look at the phrase in verse 36. So they went out and searched for him, very end of verse 36. That phrase literally means they went on a hunt. (laughs) And where did they find him? Verse 35, this person of incredible authority is out in a secluded spot praying. What is this? Don't miss. He who has amazing authority is praying. Why? Because he recognizes he is under a higher authority. And when told that everyone is looking for him, What does he do? He announces, well, let's move on down the road because we've got other towns to preach in. What is this? 
His authority is not being used to gain popularity, but to achieve a purpose. Here's the purpose in verse 38. Let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is what I came, that is why I came out. I came out to preach? Preach what? Well, that pushes us back to verse 15. We saw this already. Here's the summary of Jesus' basic message to people. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, this, 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 this good news. He has come in order to let people know that there is a divine kingdom that is on its way in. People need to repent to, and believe it. And Jesus needed time in prayer in order to keep his authority focused on why he came. So you notice what Mark has done. Mark has taken us by the hand and walked us through the first three scenes of Jesus' public ministry in order to help us be prepared to experience Jesus in a personal way. And there is one powerful point that Mark is trying to make as we move from synagogue into this house and then out into the country. Mark, as a master storyteller, is trying to raise our curiosity or arouse our curiosity. He wants our natural inquisitiveness that in most cases has died or has gone dormant in us to kind of reemerge. And here's the point he's trying to make. That Jesus demonstrates his authority in order to make us ask, what is this? What is this? Folks, that's the question of life. It is the most important question that any of us can ever ask Jesus Christ, whether we are one of his followers or not. We constantly need to be asking, what is this? It's the haunting question. Every time Jesus speaks, it's with authority. Every time he acts, it's with authority. And we should be then asking it inside of our minds, what is this? And by the way, that's not not an unusual response. We do this all the time, by the way. Um, every time we face a claim of authority in our lives, we have a decision to make, don't we? Uh, how will I respond to this authority? So you're, you're driving down the road, and there are flashing lights that appear in your rearview mirror. How are you going to respond? you going to pull over or not? By the way, it's a good, it's a good idea to pull over, just in case you're wondering. Uh, but, but we do that. We're, there's an authority. How am I going to respond? Uh, for those of you who are uh, still in at home, when your parents ask you to take out the garbage or they ask you to be home by 10 p.m., what will you do? Will you listen to your teacher in school? Will you listen to your doctor who recommends surgery? When my peer group or that admired celebrity models a lifestyle before me, what will I do with that authority? See, we do this all the time. Every time we face a claim of authority, we have a decision to make. We ask all the time, what is this? And that's what Mark's doing. Mark is simply inviting us through these three scenes to constantly ask, as we look at the life of Jesus, what is this? This is part of our preparation to really experience him well. Every time we see what he does. Every time we listen to what he says, what is this? In fact, it's interesting how these verses that mark these three scenes 
really reveal that there are five follow-up questions. If the bigger question, the most important one is, what is this? Then there are five specific ones that these, that these three scenes kind of ask us to also ask. Let me give you these five. These five are about the authority of Jesus. What's the first one? What is this authority that challenges what I think? See, back up to the synagogue. People were recognizing that Jesus was teaching with authority, which means he was teaching with a power that made people question what they believed. It was challenging their assumptions. It was revealing things they thought were hidden or were not even in their own minds. Jesus was speaking about what his heavenly father had said to him. So that, that means we can get a glimpse then of the heart of God from what Jesus says. Jesus describes with authority in his teaching that there's this larger divine story that's unfolding all around us. That when we listen to Jesus, we hear what's valuable to God, what pleases him, and what he thinks of us. So what am I going to do with this authoritative teaching? Will I listen carefully? Is it credible? Is it true? Is it trustworthy to, as a foundation for my life? How will I respond to an authority that asks me to repent and believe? What is this? Huh. That's the first question. What do I do? Or what is this authority that challenges what I think? That's just the first question. Four more. You hanging in there with me? Okay. I'll take that by faith. Question number two. What is this authority that controls the demonic? Now, when you think demonic, think enemy. What am I going to do with someone who has the supernatural power to muzzle evil outbursts? What response is appropriate in the face of an authority so powerful that it can cast out a demon that's taken up an an impressive resonance inside someone? I mean, many of you here recognize that we are living in a day of cosmic kingdom battles going on. It is a battle between good. It is a battle between evil. And these two kingdoms are clashing with one another. So what am I going to do with this person who, by a simple verbal command out of his mouth, controls the forces of evil? What do I do with this person who can release people from being held captive, and being oppressed. What does this say about what he can do with my private demons? What is this authority that controls the demonic? Third question. What is this authority that cares for the weak? Now think about this for a moment. Think about the kinds of authority that we are seeing in our country and around the world today. Those with authority typically roll right over the top of the weak. Either they don't care or it's not worth their time to deal with them. Isn't that what we see all the time? So what is this authority seen in Jesus that reaches out its hand to lift someone else up. What is this authority that has the supernatural ability to instantly replace weakness with strength? Which means, would I dare to believe 
that this authority would care about my weaknesses? That if he knew how weak I was, that he'd come to me? That he would reach out and, and the power of his touch could restore me? See where your questions will start to lead you? That's what Mark wants us to do. What is this? So what is this authority that challenge, challenges what I think? Second, what is this authority that controls the demonic? Third, what is this authority that cares for the weak? Fourth, what is this authority that has compassion for the desperate? Again, think about the authority figures we see in our day. Um, don't they usually dictate how they will help the desperate? Hmm. They make sure that any exchange is going to be beneficial to them and they leave those who are helped with a deep sense of obligation for what they've received. Isn't that what we see in authority? But what is this authority in Jesus that with deep compassion doesn't control, doesn't demand, doesn't set an agenda? What is this authority that will accept me just for who I really am? Whose heart aches for the pain and the frustration and the disappointment that I live with? Would he be, would he be willing to bring healing to that place in my life where I'm really desperately sick? Would he set free that part of me that's in bondage? Could his supernatural authority really change those deep, dark places in my soul? What is this authority that has compassion for the desperate? One more, a fifth one. What is this authority that isn't controlled by popularity? Huh. Again, just look around. Typically, those in authority and have the power of authority, they want the spotlight, don't they? They want to be in front of a crowd, not hiding from it. They want to hear the applause, the clamor for their attention, their name being called out, their fame to spread. So what is this authority that doesn't need popularity, instead is driven by divine purpose? Could it possibly be an authority that hasn't come to be served, but will serve others. So can I trust an authority that isn't looking for my approval? Can I trust an authority that won't cater to my fancies, that won't tell me what I want to hear? Rather, this authority, it lovingly insists that I repent that I'm the one that's going to have to change direction and believe that the kingdom of God, though I can't see it with my eyes, is literally exploding all around me. You see what Mark's trying to do in preparing us to experience Jesus? He's showing us how Jesus demonstrates his authority that we might ask, what is Albert Einstein once made the comment, he said, the important thing is to not stop questioning. Never lose a holy curiosity. Don't stop to marvel. I think Jesus would agree with him. 
Because as we experience him in these coming weeks, as Mark's story continues, my brothers and sisters, be prepared to scratch your heads. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that those who were there wrote down what they saw, wrote down what they heard, wrote down what they literally touched with their hands, who they hung out with 24-7 for almost three years. That they wrote it down in order that we might experience it too and be profoundly changed just like they were. But that means we need to be prepared to engage with this Jesus. And as Mark has led us to understand, it means we need to be willing to ask questions. Especially one key question. What is this? So Father, my prayer for my life and literally for everybody in this room is the prayer that I've been praying ever since we started in our study in Mark. And that is, Lord, would you show me the real Jesus? And as Mark does that through his book, that something powerful and supernatural would occur, and that is it would change my life. Thank you that Mark is so confident that as we experience Jesus, he's confident that we'll make up our minds and want to do what comes next, and that is follow him and then also trust him. But that's still down the road. But Father, this morning, I pray that you would awaken maybe those areas inside of us that have long gone to sleep, that you would open up eyes that maybe have long gone blind, hearts that are maybe way too hard, to once again stand in astonishment and amazement at the authority of Jesus Christ, and to not feel bashful and never be silenced to say, what is this? Father, I pray that for my own life. You know how easy it is for a pastor to, who traffics in the Word of God almost every day to get numb. I have that danger. I think we all do. So we pray that you would bring us to life once again in a way that maybe we never realized we needed, but that we do. So Father, we commit ourselves to you, our hearts to you, our questions to you. And these stories of this morning that are meant to begin to prepare us for what you want us to come to know about Jesus Christ. Lord, may that be this incredible journey we take in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.com. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. 
Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.